Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. In 2 Samuel, um, basically chapter 15 through 18 tells you the story. And you had Absalom, and he was David's son, and his brother, stepbrother, basically had raped his sister. And he said, I'm going to kill him for it. Makes sense, right? <laughs> so he kills his brother. David exiles him and says, you know, you're, you know, can't be killing family here. <laughs> Eventually, he gets brought back. But when he's brought back, um, there is kind of a, he stands in the gate and he starts seeing everybody that's complaining about issues. And he starts gathering these people that are complaining about the kingdom in general. And he creates this whole conspiracy. And he said, you know, if only there was a good king in Israel and somebody who could judge things rightly. And so he creates this whole persona of a problem with David. In the meantime, David is having some major problems. He is sinned with Bathsheba, uh, and he's um, uh, he's had uh, her husband killed, and all that's going on. He's lost a son, and he's really kind of overwhelmed with all that. And yet, after that, he's repentant. He says, yeah, I sinned. I messed up. And in the midst of that, this conspiracy takes over. And David doesn't want to fight his son. So David chooses to leave the kingdom, leave Jerusalem, and go off into basically hiding while everybody's trying to kill him. And that's where we find David when he begins this psalm. In hiding, just overwhelmed, frustrated with being king, being anointed as king, but not really filling the role that he's called to. And just not sure what to do. And the reality is we all feel like that. We all feel overwhelmed at times. And we don't feel like we're filling the role. Or we feel like some sin is holding us back from whatever God has for us. Or maybe we're not worthy to be in the role we're in. And that's kind of what you're seeing here. Verse 1 says, Oh Lord... How many adversaries have increased? My adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. Selah. David looks at his situation, frustrated, overwhelmed. He's got all kinds of things coming against him. People, his emotions, struggles. And it just feels like it's just 
tearing him down and he doesn't know where to go. And I'm sure all of you can have times in your life where you relate to that, where you just feel like everything is against you. And he says, there are people around me saying, God won't help you. You have no deliverance with God. The first deception when you have that struggle, when you're really in the midst of you know, depression, the quickest answer is, oh, God's not going to help you. And that's the easiest lie for Satan to tell you. You have no hope. You're just, it's all just falling apart. And verse 2 ends with that word, sila, which is basically a pause. It's a musical term from what we understand of it. It's basically a rest. And the goal there is, this is a song, and all of Psalms are basically songs. And this is David writing a song about his emotions and his struggle. And so he he intentionally puts this rest here to think about it, to meditate on this idea that there's no hope for you. Is that true? You know, that's our first question. When we start thinking in that vein, we have to stop and go, where is this coming from? And sometimes we have to look around and go, it feels that way. It's really, there's no hope. I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. And that's where David is. And and the reality is David is looking at this from multiple perspectives. You know, he has sinned and he thinks, you know, maybe this is just God's way of judging me. And maybe in part that overlaps somehow. And so he's just like, I don't know what to do. Yet he moves on. That's the first question that we start with. Verse 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. You know, so often we stay in that first area where we're overwhelmed and we never move on to looking to God first. David, it says, has a heart after the Lord. And his first response when he's in this situation is to look to the Lord. It's all falling apart. It's all miserable. But you, Lord, you're the constant in all of it. And for us, we need to go there. Lots of life ends up that way. It all falls apart in some way. It's all fallen. We're in a horrible world. But you, Lord, you are a shield about me. Interesting. 
same situation happened with Jesus. You know, he was on the cross, and they're like, get yourself down. You're, you have no help from God. <laughs> same thing a few earlier he went into Jerusalem or into his hometown and, and they, he started reading the Bible and said, oh, you're blaspheming. God won't help you. So they take him out to the mountain, try to stone him. And what happens? He just walks away. It's not my time. Sometimes we forget that God's timing is different than ours. Sometimes we need to go through that hard questioning time. We need to really evaluate what do I trust in? Am I trusting myself? Am I trusting in my situation or the people around me? For David, that was a question. Can I trust all the people that serve me? Well, all of them are rebelling against me. Can I trust this kingdom that God, God's given me? Yet, I know that I'm not really worthy of the kingdom that he's given me to, to rule. He says, take everything else away. You're a shield around me. This word for shield is a buckler. It's, it's a full body kind of shielding in front of, behind, all around. It's an encasing shield. And the idea is that God is fully protected us. And it reminds us of Ephesians, where we're called to take up the shield of faith. It's our job. Where does that come from? You can't take up the shield of faith until you look to who you're putting your faith in. And that's what's going on here. David says, you, who are you as Lord? You are my shield. First and foremost, I trust you and you alone. And the same thing for us. When we're going through those really difficult times, we have to stop and take, you know, the Bible says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I love that verse because... It reminds me constantly that my thinking can be really flawed and really messed up. And I have to consciously say, no, this is not in submission to Christ, whatever it is I'm thinking, and reevaluate it and put my thoughts in order. And that's what he's doing. He says, you, you are my focus and you're going to be my thought, not what's around me, not the struggle I'm facing, you and you alone, because that's all that matters in my life. You are a shield about me. Take up the shield of faith. Second, he says, you're my glory. He is what we glory in, he is the means for us to receive honor and glory. Galatians 16 says, God forbid that I glory in anything but the cross, 
It's him and his work that gives me any purpose and any meaning and any, any glory. It's what he's doing in me. All of my works, it says, are filthy rags. They're just uselessness. When I'm working at my own power and my own means, it's useless. But my glory comes from him and his work that's being done through me and in me. That's where the glory of God rests on us. So he says, I'm, I'm protected by the Lord as I trust him. And I glory in the Lord as I see him working out this salvation in me. I'm, as he works out this change in my attitude and in my perspective, I can glorify him for giving me that new look. And finally, he's the one that lifts my head. You know, that's the problem. We lay down and we stay down. That's not where God wants us to stay. He wants us to be lifted up. But it starts in humility. Turn over to Philippians 4. Most of you should know this passage. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 4. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. What's the first thing he's doing? He's refocusing, and he's going to call on the Lord. He says, I trust you. And despite the situation, we're commanded not to be anxious about it. And I know that's that's a really hard thing to do for all of us. We're human. That's what we do. We stress. Don't worry about it. Trust me with all those situations, all the problems you have. Pray about it. Be thankful for where you're at and what's going on. Because there's a reason for it, whether you understand it or not. There's a reason for it. It may be for your growth. It may be for somebody else to step in and their growth. You don't know what's really going on. But if you trust the Lord, he does know what's going on. And we can trust him in all those situations. Even in the middle of the cave where everybody's trying to kill you. And we do that with thanksgiving. We let the request be known. And verse 7 is the catch. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ. How do we get our minds guarded? By trusting God. Putting it back on him. Continuing on 
in Philippians there. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. Verse 7, the peace of God will be with you when you put it on him. Second, when you actively choose to think on the things in this list, then God himself is with you. Interesting. There is a, there's a difference there. One, God gives you his peace. The other, you're abiding with the Spirit. And you have to have both to get the full effect, right? I mean, it's one thing to be comforted in the truths of God. It's another thing to have the Spirit comforting you and abiding in him. And that's where we want to be. you got to take the whole package. Verse 4, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Another pause, Selah. He answered me. Doesn't say he said good things to him. <laughs> but he answered. <laughs> you know, that's a reality. Sometimes we don't always get the answer we want. He says, stay in the cave a little bit longer. <laughs> Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, The other interesting thing is he's crying to the Lord. You know, sometimes we can be so removed and so reserved. They aren't really willing to be honest with God. We struggle through our situation. This is an audible, with my voice, I cried to the Lord. There was a practice with the Psalters where they would go up into the hills and yell at God. Why is it the way it is? Why am I struggling? You know, just go off on whatever the struggle is and be honest with God. You know, we're so we're kind of scared of being honest with God sometimes, but that's not what He called us to. He called us to truth, reality, be real, and He responds. We're called to be real with God, but sometimes we don't get that answer. Turn over to 1 John 5. First John, by revelation, not the Gospel of John. 1 John 5, 14. It says, actually, start on 13. 
These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked of him. There is a confidence in what we are asking for that he is answering. Whether it is now or whether it's later, the answer is there. We have it. It's received. However, if we back up a little bit to James chapter 4. We have a little dilemma in chapter 4. What's the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures the wages that wage war against your members? You lust, you don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask pretty simple answer we're asking the wrong people we're asking each other give me help me give me this give me that he says you're not asking the lord your focus is in the wrong place and that's why you're quarreling amongst each other second you ask but you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasure that's the next problem. First, it's your focus. Are you asking God or are you asking just out of thin air? Second, what's your motive? Is it in his will that the whatever you're asking for? You adulteress. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you think the scripture speaks as um, with no purpose? He is jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Where do we get grace? From humility. From admitting that we're sinners. One of the reasons that David has this confidence is he is humbled. He's been broken before the Lord. He says, yeah, I sinned, I messed up, I fall before you in seeking mercy. If you are not willing to admit that, if you don't admit there's a problem in your life, you're opposing God. You're in rebellion. And there's a big, big problem. 
God is opposing you when you're in rebellion. But when you submit, when you're ready to say, yeah, I'm not really worthy, then what does he do? It says that he gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. How do we do that? Going back to the beginning, faith. We're surrounded by that. We're going to resist what he's telling us, that you're not worthy. You're not... God doesn't have any hope for you. We resist that because we know God does have a plan to prosper, to do good things for you and with you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will lift you up. What's the promise? When we're in that cave, when we're in that dark place, when we're surrounded by everything else, when we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. And we can pray and say, Lord, I need help. And we will be heard. He answered me from his holy mountain. Verse 5, I laid down and I slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Now, thinking about the situation, we're talking about a king with a bunch of people trying to kill him. What's the first thing you do? You don't go to sleep. (laughs) You guard yourself. You protect yourself, however, whatever means. And you are so anxious and so overworked that you can't sleep. And what happens when we get stressed? We lose sleep. What happens when we're overwhelmed? We don't sleep well. He says... God answered me, I laid it down, and I was able to rest. Stress, anxiety, it'll rob you of that. But when we put our trust back in the Lord, he provides that peace that we need. It says a peace that is beyond comprehension. It's not rational for the king to lay down and sleep at this point. Because who knows, somebody slit his throat while he's sleeping. I mean, that's that's a real reality for David at this time. He is, he has no safety. He has people in his guard that have already left to go follow Absalom. Who knows, there could be somebody in the guard watching him while he's sleeping in the conspiracy. He says, I lay down and I slept. I awake for the Lord sustain me. You know, there are a lot of situations we get in where we just don't know what to do. 
And I think that's where David was. He didn't know what to do. He said, if you want me to live, I'll live. If you don't, I'll die. But it's in your hands, and I trust you. And he said, hey, God woke me up. I'm done. I guess I get to live another day. <laughs> Wonderful. For David, this is a real threat. But God kept him and didn't put his trust to shame. He was shown right to trust God. You know, one of the things I, I think about when I was reading this was uh, Jesus in the boat. It's all this waves and chaos. And Jesus is just sitting there sleeping. <laughs> like, yeah. All the disciples get up and they're like, what's going on? Why are you sleeping? How can you sleep with the chaos? And he says, what are you talking about? We said we're going to the other side and that's what we're doing. Yeah, it's a little, a little rough, but we're going it's still moving. We're still proceeding. <laughs> no, he gets up, rebukes the waves, and everything calms down. He says, you guys, you just need to trust me. When I say something, we're doing it. Whatever's going on around us, that's secondary to what the goal is. Trust me, even in the waves. And that's what he's calling us to. When it's messed up, and it doesn't look okay or safe for us. It's probably not safe for us. But for him, it's safe. Because he's in God's will. He has a plan and he's moving with us to that purpose. No matter what's going on. And yeah, it was scary. Maybe a few of them drank a little water on that day. <laughs> Had a few coughs. <laughs> Who knows? But God sustained them. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who have set themselves against me round about. After a night of wrestling with this reality of the situation that he's in, he awoke with fresh eyes on the situation. He said, you know what? It's all in God's hands. He's in control. And I can just trust him with it. No matter what it is. Despite the people. Despite the emotions. Despite the struggle. I can have confidence because God is in control. Verse 7. Arise, O Lord, and save me, my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You've scattered, uh, shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. So once again, after being sustained, he maintains his focus. And it's real easy. After we get 
pulled out of whatever chaos, it's real easy to lose our focus. It's real easy to just be like, oh, things are good now. <laughs> I'm going to move on and forget about what God's done. Because things are easy now. It's it's real easy to call on God when when things are rough and it's normal. Everybody gathers around like, oh, we gotta we gotta seek God now. But now that we've got out of that chaos and God's made things good for him, he's shattered all the, the he's destroyed all the enemies, and things are good. And he says, arise, Lord. What does that mean? Is he telling him to wake up? You know, in, in other religions, that's the, the thing. You go around, you spin the bells or whatever it is, and you wake up your gods because they're all sleeping. And, and you know, if you're going to ask him for something, you got to wake him up. <laughs> you know? he, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, wake up, God, help me. He's saying, arise. Bring your kingdom. Establish your authority. Because David knows that it's God's kingdom. It's not his kingdom. It never was his kingdom. You take authority. Do whatever you're going to do. It's yours, not mine. It's not my situation. You do what you do best and save. First, he's his Lord. Second, he's his God. A Lord is a ruler. He has authority. God is a creator. He's established you and made you for a purpose. He created you. You have value. And you're worth saving. As opposed to verse 2 that said, hey, God doesn't want to save you. He doesn't want to help you. You are valuable and you're worth saving. For you have smitten everything you... He recounts all this history that God's done for him. He remembers, you know, there was a time when I was on the throne and God did these crazy things. There was a time when Saul tried to kill me and he sustained me. He overtook him. I made a point of not overstepping my bounds back then <laughs> and God did whatever he was going to do with the Philistines he protected David through all this time and he says you've done this this little situation with Absalom it's already dealt with and I put it in your hands and I leave it there because salvation is yours not mine <laughs> It belongs to you. 
He says, your blessing be upon your people. He doesn't say, put me back in leadership. Put me back into the kingdom. I'll do what you want me to do. He says, no. Whatever you want to bless with, you do it. It's your people that need to be blessed. This split in the kingdom, it's not doing anybody any good. And the reality is, there are lots of splits in your own life. Your kingdom is twisted up. We all need to get refocused. It's his salvation. It's his blessing that's upon his people. Now I want you to notice this transition changed his whole attitude. He started in misery, just horribly depressed. And he transitioned very quickly after he changed his focus from himself and his situation to God and his glory. He says, now my focus is on your people, not me. And when our focus changes to the people around us, that's where it's purest. That's what God calls us to. You know, in the back, we've been talking about being a part of the body and how the body doesn't focus on the, you know, the whatever the function functioning piece is. It doesn't focus on itself. It just does what it's supposed to do. And because it does what it's supposed to do, the rest of the body is benefited. Same thing with us. Our purpose is for the whole to bless each other, to build up each other. We don't want to be not doing what we're supposed to do in our functionality. And wherever God puts us, that's where we are. And that's okay. His purpose is beyond our position or our situation. And he'll accomplish it despite the storm all around us. David lost himself in the bigger plan, the call to salvation and to rest in the rest of God's creation, to be a part of the whole. The heart of God desires your prayer life to come to this place. Yeah, you start being real with God. And it should bring you to being real with the people around you and having a heart for these people around you. What's it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else is added to that. We start functioning in relationship totally different when our focus is on the kingdom. And that's what we're called to. (laughs) 
seek the Lord, be real, and trust him because he's faithful and he's just. And he wants to save. But he can't do it when we're filled with pride. He won't do it when you're filled with pride. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Father, we thank you that you are a God that has a desire to lift us up in our most miserable, weakest state. You offer salvation. You offer a peace that is beyond all understanding. And I pray that we all receive that today. That we would abide in your spirit and rest in your comfort. You would give us your vision for your church to bring your kingdom on this earth and into each life around us. In Jesus' name, amen.